begin today, it's gonna be a whirlwind. We're gonna begin today with a scripture reading and we are going to end with an incredible story of adoption, just an incredible testimony that we are super excited to share with you. So I'm gonna hit the ground running here. We're just gonna go ahead and jump into our scripture reading. It can be found in James 1, uh, verse 28. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. David Pawson, he's one of our favorite Bible teachers, and he says that there are two things uh, that are, there are two problems with Scripture. One is when you don't understand a Scripture, and the other problem is when you do. And this is, yeah, you veterans know what I'm talking about. Like, this is a tough verse to walk out in reality. And James was actually Jesus's half-brother. And he pulls no punches here. Because in this verse, he's speaking to Christians and what you would call the messianic mother church in Jerusalem, right? He is the leader of the first Christian community ever. This Christian community has seen its share of hardships. They've seen poverty, they've seen famine, they've seen persecution from the Jews. And James, so he's speaking to a group of Christians and they already have a lot going on. I mean, they're not unlike us here today. You know, he is just speaking to people who have seen and experienced and lived out the hardships of life. But James is not deterred by the hardship because hardship is always gonna exist, right? In this life, we are always going to have hardships and, and deal with difficult times. But believers obey God anyway. We believe God anyway. Genuine faith always, always, always results in obedience. And I've heard preachers refer to this verse as, a command or that James is, is making a mandate, but it's actually neither. This verse isn't commanding us, but it's rather describing something for us. He's using descriptive language here. He's describing religion as an outward display of something that is inwardly true in us. Now, don't get caught up in this word religion. Us non-denominational folks get a little prickly when we say religion because we start thinking of something that's ritualistic and sterile. And, you know, we're not thinking of this, this vibrant relationship with, with Jesus Christ that's living. But when James is talking about religion here, he uses the word religion in this way, as an outward display of the gospel, which is inwardly true in us. So that's how we need to read this. And James is saying, hey, you wanna put the gospel of Christ on full display for the world with its purity and clarity and power? Then visit, move towards, step towards, get involved with orphans and widows in their distress. James is highlighting the most vulnerable people in his society in this time because men were the primary breadwinners. They were most likely to be educated. They were the ones bringing in the money. So a, a woman or children without a husband, without a father, they would be less, left penniless and destitute. And let's not forget, 
James, the, the lifestyle of adoption is very special to James because his half-brother Jesus was adopted by Joseph. He has seen firsthand the power of adoption in someone's life. And that's why he's now rallying the Christians. And he's saying, don't run from hardship, don't look away. Don't run from painful situations. Run towards the hurt and run towards the suffering and run towards the vulnerable. And this goes against everything. This goes against everything that our selfish, humanly nature wants to do, right? But do you want to know what the catalyst is for changing this world? It's Christians whose actions follow their words. And we can have all of the climate summits in the world and we can meet till we're blue in the face, but the catalyst for changing the world is Christians whose actions follow their words. I've spent many years, uh, most of you know I'm, I'm a pastor's daughter and I have spent many years in church. <laughs> and many of those years, I spent with this undercurrent of fear going on inside of me. And I believed that if I fully surrendered my life to God, that if I, if I just gave everything over to God, that he was gonna task me with doing something that was so impossible, I would not survive it. And I had this, this, this fear that kept bubbling up every time the pastor would have an altar call or ask something of us. And... The picture that I got in my head, this is gonna sound so silly, but that's what fears are, right? When you say them out loud, it's like, I don't know why I feel this way. It's just there, I can't do anything about it. So the fear that I had in my head was that God was gonna call me to the deep jungles of Africa and he was gonna leave me there and I was gonna suffer forever and I would never see my family, I would never see my friends and I, that would be my life. And so if any of you have ever lived with a fear before, just like this constant fear, you understand that it's exhausting, like truly, truly exhausting. So I got to the point where I was like, you know what? I don't even care anymore. God, I am surrendering my life to you. I cannot live with this fear any longer. So whatever you ask of me, whatever that looks like, I am going to do it. I surrender my life to you. A few years later, I became involved with the anti-human trafficking work of International Justice Mission. And the day came, they came to me and they said, we would like you to visit one of our field offices and you can either go to Cambodia, you can go to India, or you can go to, everyone say it with me, Africa. I was like, all right, this is my chance. This is my opportunity. I'm doing this. But something had changed in me at that point. It's that I was no longer afraid. I wasn't alone. And I knew that nothing else in this world would truly ever satisfy me like obeying the calling that God had put on my life. What is God asking of you right now? Perhaps it's to help a family member who is in the trenches of adoption. Perhaps it's to offer financial support or childcare help or take them a meal, or maybe it's just to 
Pray for them diligently to set your alarm clock to pray for these families. Maybe it's to adopt. Maybe it's to foster. I don't know what that is for you, but whatever God has called you to do, you have to know that there is nothing else in this world that is gonna satisfy you like obeying that calling that he's put on your life. And I have watched people go from place to place, from job to job, relationship to relationship, because they were running. They were running from that call that God had called them to. And I get it. It's scary. Like, I get it. But you have to know that there is a peace and a joy and an adventure and a satisfaction that you will only find in that obedience. Let me tell you about the Taylor family. (laughs) Speaking of obedience, Bart and Claire Taylor have been attending Northwest Church for a little over a year now, but Claire and I have been friends for a, a lot longer than that. They have eight children, six of whom have been adopted from China. And actually, Bart nor Claire are even in this picture. (laughs) This is the siblings. (laughs) Sorry about that. I just love this picture so much. I'm like, I'm using this one. But they have a family that says yes to God's calling, and then they allow God to work out all the details. Today, we're going to highlight Kira Taylor's story. And I think I can do this. Okay, we've got Olivia, Michael, Kira, Mia, Hudson, Logan, Sophia, and Asher. Did I get everybody? Oh my God, everyone. (laughs) Today we're gonna be highlighting, I'm sure there's a pointer on here somewhere. Today that we're gonna be highlighting Kira's story. Kira is one of their incredible daughters and her testimony is so powerful that we really couldn't get it down to under 15 minutes. (laughs) I mean, so Jack edited the video. He's like, I don't... We got to leave it in. We got to leave it all in. It's just so powerful. I'm like, leave it in. Kira's preaching for me today. Leave it in. So this will be about 15 minutes. Settle in, grab a tissue, and allow her testimony to raise your faith. Go ahead and cue that video. Do I need to look at the camera? Uh, My name is Kira. I'm 21 years old. I am from China, northern part of China. Um, My life started a little bit differently from a lot of other people. Um, I was born in China and lived in an orphanage since I was two days old. Um, And I've been there for, I was there for 12 years. Um, So a typical day in the orphanage for me was um, every day started out as a get up um, and start feeding the babies. Um, Anybody who was capable of walking and talking had to take care of the little babies. Um, And we Uh, People like me didn't have much time to really feed ourselves. Um, We were also in charge of 
changing diapers, uh, giving them baths, and um, putting them back in the crib. Um, at night times, we were, I was in charge of watching the windows because we always had um, the administrators that would come in at random times to inspect the building. Um, if an inspector were to come in, everybody had to get into a bed and lights were out and make sure that um, everybody was asleep. Um, and then when they leave, everybody gets back out of bed and go back to work. And normally, the most sleep we would have is probably three to four hours uh, a night. And then everything would go back and we would start over. So whenever we would have a child who is getting adopted, some of the family was, would come into the orphanage and visit the building, just kind of each room's how everything were. Um, we never had a bed. Um, so when the visitors come in, we would all be assigned a, a bed so that if for some reason they ask us which bed is ours, we would tell them that bed is ours. But in reality, we didn't have a bed and we were only allowed to sleep on the floor if we had time to sleep. So each time when we had a child getting adopted, we were all told that whoever is adopting us would be the worst person worst family. Um, if we were to ever misbehave um, in that family, we would be, would be uh, taken into a science lab or just kind of any kind of hospital facility, be tested until, um, until we pass away. Um, and we were told to never tell our new families what happened there or they would come and find us and take us back to China. So my first personal feeling towards adoption was very much just fear. Um, I didn't want to die if I misbehaved. Um, but at the same time, I also knew that I didn't want to stay in the orphanage. Um, so half of me wanted to just leave that place and go into a new world where I don't know if I would even survive a day or stay there and just live a miserable life for the rest of my life. So adoption was uh, very much 50-50 for me. It's a life or death. The worst memory I still have to this day is um, one of the babies I was in charge of. I... Um, so they had a autistic uh, boy wash, uh, bath this baby, but he didn't know the temperature, how hot or how cold it was. And he turned it all the way up to hot and the baby did not last uh, through the night. And I had to, the next morning, I had to put the baby in a body bag and 
placed in the closet until uh, an administrator came and took, took it. The first time I saw my mom and my sisters, the first thing going through my head I was, was, who are the two uh, American-looking people? Of course, I didn't know they were American. I just knew um, one had a different, they both had a different hair color than I did. And I've never seen that before. And seeing my two youngest sister, who was just like me. Um, so when I first saw my mom and my oldest sister, I was very much in awe. I was <laughs> they were very beautiful. Um, so just seeing them with two little Asian girls <laughs> and then adding me into the family was definitely different, but very much exciting, and I was still full of fear, <laughs> um, but I was ready to just do something different. Um, so when my parents came, or actually my mom came too, with three of my other sisters, um, I was given the choice to either sign my own paper or have my mom sign it. And after meeting them, I was very much determined to sign that paper and get out of there. <laughs> so um, I was very happy when they asked me to um, sign the paper. So the first day I left that building, that orphanage building, with my family, I found out that there's more out there than just in what's inside. And after hanging out with them for a few days, getting just getting out of that building just gave me a little bit of uh, peace and hope that there's something better out there. And so when I when the paper was in front of me, it probably took me less than a second to just write my name, even though that was probably my first time writing my name. So it took me about six or seven years to finally realize that I wasn't going to go anywhere, that my family loved me for who I was, inside and out, um, that they weren't going to just let people take me away or let me just stray off. Um, they were always there. Um, for the first few years, um, and I still, every once in a while, have dreams where I'm back at China where uh, I would wake up in this dream back in China where it was more like I was in a coma for a very long time and I woke up from it. I spoke English but I uh, just waking up from that was um, scary. I remember a few times where I woke up in real life and just sitting in bed and crying for hours before I could fall back to sleep. The thing that got, that pulled me out of that thought that I was in a dream, that I wasn't where I thought I would be, was the first time I got in trouble. <laughs> um, I was afraid of one of my cats, 
So I got attacked by her once, and um, uh, so I trapped her in a room and um, uh, sprayed her <laughs> with water, um, and my parents were not happy with me. Um, and instead of them coming to me and yelling at me, um, telling how terrible I was, that I was, um, that they didn't want me anymore. Instead, they came and um, told me that they still loved me, that I'm not going where, anywhere. <laughs> My mom jokes about that all the time. I will still get in trouble, but I'm not going anywhere. Um, um, so, I mean, the cat's fine. She's still, <laughs> she's great. <laughs> um, uh, but that was the first time I've, that first seed of hope that I wasn't going back to China, that they weren't going to send me off because I made some, I did something terrible. So um, being, after being adopted, um, the way I viewed God has, after I've understood everything, has definitely changed in the past few years. Um, when I was in China, I just, didn't think there was any hope for me, that there wasn't anybody out there who could come and rescue us. Um, but just like a few years ago, I finally just sat down and thought about it and realized that there was somebody out there, that God was out there watching over me, um, watching over, um, just protecting me. Um, when I was in China, we were not taught that there was a God out there, that there was anything out there that's um, on your side. Um, so when I came here and realized that there was somebody out there, um, it has strengthened my faith in God, has taught me that definitely no matter what you're going through, He's still there for you. Knowing God, knowing that there is a God out there has pulled me through some of the darkest time I've faced. Even there are times, there were times where I faced my own um, fears um, without other people knowing, but I just always felt that there was someone out there who just could pull me out of it. When I think of the word adoption, the first thing that came up is family. Um, family is a big thing for me. Um, some days my um, sibling would joke around, be like, it's time for you to move out. But I, I just can't stand the feeling to be away from my family. I don't like the feeling of being alone. Um, I feel that if I, if I know I, ne I will never lose my family, um, but just the thought of 
being anywhere but with my family has, would uh, just the thought of being away from my family terrifies me i've I've been alone for almost twelve years, and even almost ten years later i still I still feel that loneliness has uh, still is playing a big part uh, some it's something I'd never want to experience again uh, moving forward from from now um, one well a few of my biggest dreams is um, visiting Israel and seeing the northern lights um, just a few years before I told myself and I told my family that I was never going back to China that I didn't want to go there and one day never come back kind of thing um, but after living the life I had I want to go back one day and visit orphanages and tell those kids that there are hope out there. There is a light outside of this orphanage. That there are people who want you. That people that want to love you. Um, it may seem like this is the end for you, but there is hope out there. It may take some time, but it'll come at some point. Um, and I also, when the ch when the time comes, adopt a few kids myself. Mm. Sometimes when we don't know what to say, we just have to pray. God, give me the next step. I can't figure it all out. I don't see the whole picture, but I trust you. Just give me the next step, and what would you have me do? I'm gonna ask Pastor Peter to come up and close us in prayer, and if you see Kara today, give her a, a big hug. <laughs> Peter, you're getting a lot of hugs today. <laughs> Let's stand. Let's stand. <clears throat> Maybe you've never given before. Maybe you've never given. You think you're a giving person, but maybe you have suddenly realized you're not as giving as you thought you were. That's okay. But as my wife said, you just have to take a next step. It doesn't mean that you have to end up being the one who goes to China to adopt, but you can be a part of giving to the vulnerable. I mean, it's as simple as even doing Christmas Child this year. It can be as simple as that, but maybe you've done that before. Maybe there's something else you have to do. Father, we are making ourselves available once again to you. And we're saying this word once again, yes. Whatever you're stirring up in our hearts, we're just saying yes. We don't know how you're going to do what it is that you're calling us to do. We don't know what sometime our next step is, but we're at least saying yes. Yes. 
And if there's any of you here this morning that you think that you have to say the words yes, I want you to say it out loud with me after three. One, two, three, yes. Father, you've heard our words. It's our testimony. We've said it out loud. And we're asking that you would show us all our next steps of how we be the body of Christ to the hurting, the needy, the lost, the lonely, the last and the least. Help us to be your hands and your feet and your words. We ask this in your precious son's name and all God's people said, amen. Amen.